The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Been offering lately, um, I you know, in listening to Mario Lines and Shelley's recent talks, emphasizing this powerful shift that we can make from the unwholesome to the wholesome, and all the tools, ways we can do that. I'm especially interested in those times when it's not happening, <laughs> when we seem to be returning for some unknown reason to the unwholesome, even though we're meditating regularly, doing our best to use the tools. There are times we can get a little stuck, or let's just say there may be still areas where, uh, since we're not Buddhas yet, and I don't mean to be uh, making a big assumption, some of you may be, but if we're not Buddhas yet, there's some little ways in which we're stuck or we're not seeing something. And sometimes it feels like we have to repeat the same behaviors or tendencies or patterns multiple times over and over again before we can see our way through to freedom. Um, so, and it is true, you know, that maybe often this is just a natural part of the practice to see things from multiple perspectives, to see them again and again until we see all the relevant parts of some way that we are feeling stress or struggling or feeling dissatisfied, suffering, until we can see all of it with some wisdom or insight into each layer of it. And that can take a very long time sometimes. So I, it's important that we've just prepared for the gradual nature of the way this unfolds. I think we need patience, but we can also uh, come to a place of trust that things are unfolding at their own pace as long as we're showing up to do the meditation and to do the mindfulness, um, paying attention to our experience with awareness. So I became interested in a sutta in the middle-length discourses, which whose title is translated by Bhikkhu, Bhikkhu Bodhi as The Wilderness in the Heart. So the title alone was evocative enough for me to attract my attention um, as a description of sometimes finding ourselves in a place that's kind of ancient. It's been there for a long time, and yet it's sort of unknown to us. Um, maybe it can be tangled, some wildernesses are, but also I love the fact that wilderness um, is a place where we might be able to discover something totally new. We're explorers, and we, we just have to figure out how to navigate the wilderness to arrive at something uh, that's a good place for us. So today, um, I'd like to offer a little bit about those places of wilderness, um, of difficulty that hasn't yet opened um, or isn't feeling like it's opened yet in the practice. Uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi's translation of one of the beginning passages of the Sutta quotes the Buddha as saying, Bhikkhus, and I'm going to in interpret all of us as bhikkhus, e even though we're not technically monastics, maybe. Bhikkhus, that any bhikkhu who has not abandoned five wildernesses in the heart and not severed 
five shackles in the heart should come to growth, increase, and fulfillment in the dharma and discipline, that is impossible. So he's saying we won't grow, increase, and fulfill the dharma and discipline if we have these five things he's calling wildernesses or shackles in the heart. Ajahn Sujato has an equally intriguing and slightly different translation of the passage. Mendicants, when a mendicant has not given up five kinds of emotional barrenness and cut off five emotional shackles, it's not possible for them to achieve growth, improvement, or maturity in this teaching and training. So that's interesting. Um, almost the same, but uh, this is another explanation for, or description maybe of times when we're a little bit stuck or areas that aren't yet open by calling it emotional barrenness. Sort of maybe it's an area that feels devoid of any reinforcing emotions, any positive feelings, or maybe there are times that practice can feel repetitive and leave us wondering, okay, what am I doing? Um, And maybe it doesn't feel that way. Maybe it's really fruitful and it's rolling forward. In that case, wonderful. But I still think these five wildernesses or shackles are worth our attention because sometimes it's very subtle how we might still be holding on in one of these areas. So I regard all of these things that they're calling wildernesses or shackles as communication from ourselves to ourselves. So when something's feeling off, I think it's communication to us, from us. And this is, I I think there's a really interesting set of skills that we can bring to this that come from Western psychology. I see Buddhism and Western psychology as complementary systems that can be used together to supplement one another. And it is important not to conflate the two systems, not to, and to be really clear on what the Dharma is teaching and clear on what we're learning from psychology. So I'll, I'll say years ago, I really appreciated uh, a chart that Guy Armstrong presented to those of us who were in one of those longer programs that Spirit Rock has, those multi-year programs. It listed these common things that are said in Western Dharma talks. And it it put a label next to each one. He identified whether it belonged to the Dharma, whether it belonged to Western psychology, or whether it was a new age source. And I really love that because he was making the point, don't just mush all of this together. There's a poster hanging outside of the upstairs office at the Insight Meditation Center that has a picture of, you know, a statue of Siddhartha before his enlightenment. And it it has a quote at the bottom. I'm pretty sure I never said that, the Buddha. (laughs) So I happen to love that poster. So if we're clear on what's coming from what system, though, these different systems of healing, um, we can benefit from all of it. So the way we approach Western psychology, I think a wise way, is to know what we're selecting and employing and using it in a certain way. So for example, stories. I've heard 
the word stories mentioned kind of dismissively in Buddhist circles, like treated like it's some kind of useless fiction that we come up with stories in our lives. But I will say, yes, okay, our mind uh, construes experience in the form of stories, we could say. But at some points in our lives, um, that could be true. But at other points, the narrative of how painful events have unfolded and how we've become conditioned to suffer, those stories can be quite important to tell. Sometimes when we're suffering from uh, emotional dryness in the heart or one of those wildernesses, um, sometimes we need to tell a story from our lives, perhaps even more than once, perhaps many times, and have it witnessed and mirrored back to us. Sometimes we're doing that for ourselves, actually, when we're meditating. We're mirroring back what we've been telling ourselves. So this is such an integral process to me of coming to really see and know this is suffering when that's what's happening. So the first noble truth. Um, once we've been through it, a story, and processed it enough to really understand what happened, Buddhism can then help us penetrate to these core skills we need. So at that point, we can step out of conditioned reactions or reactivity, we, you know, that some people call being stuck in the story. And we can reach our full human potential. Um, if we process a story completely, it's like seeing all those layers of experience I was talking about earlier. Um, and we come to see that a particular way we've been looking at something might have been too one-dimensional. And that it's only one possible view of what happens in us. And sometimes it's a stuck view. So we can come to this place um, where we see a fuller picture. Um, and in Buddhism, that can include uh, an embodied realization of our experience as the Four Noble Truths. Suffering, that suffering has a cause, that it, has a, it can come to cessation, and that the Eightfold Path can lead us there. Um, it can also come as an embodied knowledge of these three characteristics of existence. Dukkha, um, conditioned existence is unsatisfactory. Anicca, it's un inconstant, it's impermanent, it changes all the time. And anatta, or not-self, it's, no, it's not fixed, it's not one thing that stays stuck. So, um, there's another interesting thing about stories to me. Uh, they all have the potential to reshape how we see things in a positive way. So I once saw online, probably more than a decade ago, I noticed that there was a 99-year-old Jungian therapist who was offering a retreat in New Mexico in which participants would have an opportunity to rewrite their life history in mythic terms. So you'd rewrite your life story as a myth. Um, I love that. <laughs> I cannot stop uh, appreciating that over the years. We can rewrite our life story as a hero's journey 
from suffering to the complete liberation of the heart and mind. So let's spend a few minutes looking at what uh, is referred to in the suttas as the wilderness. So sometimes we we realize we've gone through tangled terrain only to find we've circled back to where we are before, that we're sort of coming back and doing some of the same things or thinking the same thoughts um, multiple times. And one place the sutta points out that we can get stuck is in aversion. Of course, one form of aversion is anger, and that's what's pointed to in the sutta. Um, we can come to understand that ruminating on anger or resentment again and again, as the saying goes, is like drinking poison and hoping your enemy dies from it. So we can feel, sometimes we can really start to feel the poison of anger if it's just a rumination. But there are times when, if we just try to abandon it, the effort to let go helps for a little while, but then we find ourselves back in the circle of anger or the cycle of aversion. Maybe we try, maybe we even use the skill of stepping away from the thought, noticing the feelings in the body, and it's helpful. But if the anger resurfaces and the cycle repeats itself, we can benefit from this blend of Western psychology along with Buddhism. So one question I love that, um, a wise person that uh, I met, and I think another person in this group knew, (laughs) uh, posed a question that we can ask when anger or resentment keeps coming, and that is, what is it that I need that I'm not getting? So it's actually useful sometimes to uh, ask ourselves that question, listening to Responses that may bubble up over weeks, months, years, just allowing space for that, not having to go think about it and solve it, but just dropping the question in once in a while and seeing what emerges. What is it that I need that I'm not getting? The wilderness we're stuck in, according to the sutta, is put like this. A mendicant is angry and upset with their spiritual companions, resentful and closed off. This being so, their mind doesn't incline towards keenness, commitment, persistence, and striving. So that's Ajahn Sujato's translation. Bhikkhu Bodhi translates it this way. One is angry and displeased with one's companions in the holy life, resentful and callous towards them. And thus, one's mind does not incline to ardor, devotion, perseverance, and striving. Those four sound like quite a lot. But, uh, and by the way, this is the fifth wilderness that's mentioned in the sutta of the five. But just imagine for a moment that you're, you're on a team, which you are, that's navigating a wilderness, which you are, life. Let's call life a wilderness area where there's this potential, there's this ancient path, uh, ancient uh, thing that we don't quite know yet that we're navigating, and some parts of it may be tangled, some parts of it may be full of discovery of natural beauty, new things we haven't seen before. 
And as we go through it, we're exercising some care with the unknown. We're trying to take care of our bodies, our hearts, our minds. Um, and uh, we're with a team. We're with the people who are close to us in our life, the people who surround us. But if you imagine that instead of being able to focus on exploring this wilderness together, instead you're fighting with your team, you're angry, you're resentful, you've shut down, you can imagine that is not going to serve you very well and it's not going to serve others. But it may be what's happening. So how do we get free of this kind of aversion? And the aversion could be anger or it could be fear or it could be um, all manner of emotions where we want things to stop being the way they are and be some other way. What are we going to do with that? And what are we going to do with the fact that really, if we're human, we're not going to be able to do this all on our own. I mean, there are stunning examples of people who've gone into the wilderness on their own and done amazing things. But lately, as I've watched, I've watched some documentaries about folks who've done that. And then I've wondered, wait a minute, who's doing the videography here? <laughs> you know, so, you know, even the, even the people who've done these amazing feats are often being filmed. Um, so, in psychological terms, there's got to be a reason we haven't abandoned aversion yet, and a reason that it's difficult sometimes to let go of fear or anger or sadness or any of the things that come to the emotional system. I think the mind is showing us, it's a message again from us to us. It's a way of saying, Ouch, this hurts. Pay attention to me. Don't ignore me. I need your help. So when we see the message from us to us and really, really see it, really feel it, that can uh, bring up an invitation to care, to compassion. If we come to a place where we can take a moment and breathe in, wow, I don't, you know, instead of just, I want this gone, this is a difficulty that deserves my time, my attention, my compassion. It's not a moment to judge ourselves or be hard on ourselves because, oh my gosh, my practice isn't perfect. I'm not, you know, every meditation isn't just rolling me forward. It's a moment that's saying to us, okay, there's something about this experience, this life that I haven't yet seen or heard. And maybe my companions also haven't understood it yet. So we're being invited to pay attention until we can really understand that aversion, the source of that aversion, and can resolve it. So this is a part of Buddhist practice that I've grown to respect and to love. I'd say earlier on, I was kind of trained to think in product in terms of productivity like a good American worker. Solve the problem right now and move on. You know, get this done. But over time, I've come to respect this coming back again and again to some of the same things, peeling back another layer, the process that calls for a deeper understanding and a deeper processing of what message we're sending to ourselves. You know, the, the walking of the Buddhist path, the Eightfold Path, is a worthwhile 
way to live, even if it takes a lifetime. So I'm signed on for that lifetime of practice. And there's a reason to keep exploring the wilderness. You know, as I mentioned in the meditation, every moment that is unfolding before us is new. It is unexplored territory. We can, our minds invent that we know this, you know, okay, this is the same as the past. But that's an invention of the mind. And we can invite and welcome, how, how do I navigate this? What is it that I need that I'm not getting? Without expecting the solution to pop up right now. And, you know, it's also not the case that we have to come up with, aha, I know what it is that I need that I'm not getting, and I need to go back to all these people and demand, I need this. Usually that doesn't work. (laughs) Uh, Believe me, some of us have tried. (laughs) And instead, um, if we allow these questions to just come back and see, you know, what is it that I need that I'm not getting? What's the deeper message here? How do I navigate this? We get the chance to see how this unsatisfactoriness, um, we, we get to have insight into some of the aspects of it, but also we come down to that unsatisfactoriness is built into conditioned experience. So, for example, maybe our exploration shows us we were not, we did not feel seen and heard as a child or even as an adult in psychological terms. You know, something profound in us needs to be mirrored and cherished by us right now. And that's where this practice of care and compassion for this heart, this body, this mind comes in. Um, Sometimes this process will also free up compassion for our caregivers. Often they were doing the very best they could, usually I would say, but they were entangled in the wilderness of their own suffering. Um, So much so that they they couldn't meet our needs. They weren't available to meet our needs. Um, Maybe they were even acting out their own suffering. So, in this wilderness experience, we have the possibility to forge a kind of heroic response where we discover this path through the tangle. We rejoin our heart with compassion and we find a way from there. Often, if we can find compassion for ourselves, we can stop feeling as aversive towards our companions and the journey. You know, realizing, wow, I didn't, I didn't bring this on myself intentionally. They didn't bring this on. Um, so the sutta speaks to the a kind of urgency. We have to have this slow-moving, gradually unfolding urgency of addressing aversion, and it the sutta makes clear that we'd be stuck in an emotionally barren heart in a wilderness of mind that wouldn't lead to liberation from suffering if we don't allow for an unfolding of this and a deeper looking and a being with. Once we have that compassion, that care, that allowing of, okay, here's this 
experience, this wilderness, this barrenness of aversion, of fear, of sadness, of anger, of whatever emotion wants reality to be different than it is. Um, Once we get to that compassion and care, interestingly, we may begin to notice a little energy is freed up and takes us out of that feeling of dryness. It becomes curious again in exploring. You know, instead of just being caught in a cycle of rumination or repetition, there's a little opening into that formidable description of, you know, being keen and um, being able to engage that uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi and Ajahn Sujato describe. That's what can open it back up. Then our mindfulness practice can lend itself to the development of a settled mind. You know, the mind can calm down, get out of the loop a little bit, and wisdom can arise. You know, our suffering, having been seen, allows our interest in the practice of freedom to grow stronger, to grow more consistent, to open up. And the shackles of the heart can fall away a little bit. So there's a lot more to this sutta. I've just barely scratched the surface. But interestingly, this is this is one area that we can think about or reflect on, be with this question of, are there ways in which I don't want reality to be the way it is that are kind of keeping me entangled in a wilderness instead of discovering the cool things about the wilderness? Um, I think there might be some some hints here for us. Of course, um, I think one of the things that we can learn through the process is just to stay here, stay aware, um, and stay really patient with the unfolding. Allow the insights to arise in their own time, but by inviting maybe this use of this tool of allowing some reflections to come in. What is the communication I'm sending myself? What is it that I'm not getting that I need? How do I navigate this? Just in a very gentle way, we can invite ourselves to find our way through this tangle and we can trust ourselves more. So uh, we can trust that our mind, body, and heart are often just trying to get our attention, trying to point out some underlying condition, issue, history that's repeating itself that deserves more care from us, and not to dismiss that part of ourselves easily. So my hope is with these reflections that there was something of benefit for you in there, and um, I really appreciate your attention to the comments. And now we have time for anything that you'd like to say. Um, you can share about your, your own practice, how it's going, and it may be going some way that wasn't reflected in today's talk. 
or you could ask questions or make comments. All is welcome here. So let's see what might be coming up for you. Feel free to um, unmute yourself or raise your physical hand when you're ready. Kate, please. Hi. Hi. So, um, yeah, this this felt like really meaty to me. Like I, I would have loved, I would love to go through the process you talked about, sort of towards the beginning about a story that you then, you know, you really work through, and then you embody it with the practice. And you know, I suspect that there are glimpses of that that I have indeed worked with I mean I know there are but um it just I was just like okay wait can you like just do a whole day on having us take one of these stories and (laughs) that was like the 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 greed there that I that I felt and and um and some of it is just as I was I was doing yoga before this and I and and there was a thought about you know I was noticing I wanted to hurry up and get through every pose and then just noticing all that. And I said, and I, and I thought about my practice also, and it was like, yeah, there's some doubt here right now. You know, there was this sense of like, I'm not doing it right. Or, you know, the, the, an old, that old kind of thing. So what you were saying was that reminder of how we come around again and again and, look at it, stay with it, you know, um, all that. So I just really appreciate that. Um, and I, I guess the other one thing is that when you first started, those words, like, if you're in that wilderness, you can't grow or, I mean, I can see you can't reach enlightenment, but the whole idea of, like, you can't even grow, it was like, Whoa, that's too scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The sutta has a, a few scary sections like, oh my gosh, really? The, wow, they're serious here. And I, I've seen that kind of message repeated enough in the suttas that I'm like, oh, okay. But Kate, I really appreciate the invitation you've just given yourself. Like, let me take one of those stories and let me just, you know, sink into that story. Wow. There's a story of a little doubt here. And can I do this? I don't, I don't, I can't do this, mm-hmm. you know, and allowing yourself to just invite some questions like, okay, where is this coming from? You know, and not to have to go out and think about it. Like, where is this coming from? I've got to solve this today, but more like when doubt arises, just dropping in the question, where is this coming from? And if something emerges or bubbles up, great. If it doesn't allow just, let that go for today. And then just, you know, you kind of entertain the question. You allow it to be in your life. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I've done I've done this. I, I've been uh, 
I've had these periods where I've done this for a very long time. Like I've been with a struggle, 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 breather, struggle, breather, 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 struggle. <laughs> and then one day it's just like, oh, oh my gosh, six months down the road, this is what's been going on. Now I get it. So to be gentle with these stories, but any one of these stories, you know, could be worked with as a mythic journey. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, Odysseus encounters doubt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then what? You know, mm-hmm. let let you know, let the time be taken. Mm-hmm. So I I realize sometimes I tend to put a little too much in one Dharma talk. <laughs> so if that was true, I apologize. I am prone to that. And then, well, believe it or not, I actually had written down the four other kinds of wilderness, and I thought I was going to get through those. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's so times when you do the seven o'clock in the morning and you have the whole week. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Um, and so, you know, with any any talk or any invitation like this, we can take the piece that's useful and just take that little bit of it. I used to do that sitting at IMC. I would just, if a Dharma talk left me with one thing I was going to try during the week, that was great. I'll try that. You know, I'll see what, where that goes. So um, I appreciate, you know, your your questions, your comments, and the reflection on stories not being verboten here, you know, we don't have to leave out that part of ourselves that has a little bit of a narrative going. Yeah. Well, I'm in the path of fearlessness class the year long, and that starts with looking at the stories. It's t- a lot about stories. So it's kind of nicely melds with that too. Great. Yeah. And what's the number of the sutta? Oh, it's Majima Nikaya 16. 16. So the middle-length discourse is 16. And you can, you know, if you have Bika Bodhi's translation, you can look it up. And you can also go to sutacentral.net uh, and look up Ajahn Sujato's translation of it. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Charles Lee. Yeah, hi. Yeah, thanks for, for bringing in... Um, the idea of stories and, and, and I just, I don't know how I would communicate with anybody else without, without using a story. I mean, you know, what happened yesterday? Why did you do this? Why, you know, why is this action wrong? Um, I'm just trying to think. Uh, and I know, I mean, I'm also thinking of, just the my illusion of self is definitely auto an autobiography you know charles lee was born in 19 you know 79 and you know grew up and did this and did you know it's like it's it's really hard to um to imagine um going through life without without a narrative now of course i overdo it and you know <laughs> you know constantly <laughs> you know i'm narrow narrating every you know you know every experience um or 
I don't know if I am. There's there's somebody talking to me <laughs> <laughs> who in a narrator's voice. And I mean, a lot of it is cultural too. I mean, you know, they're the basic. Uh, I feel like the base, at, at least in my upbringing, the basic tropes of you know Genesis, you know, the story of Genesis and the story of Jesus and. Uh, and, uh, and then, and then, the, you know, the Greek myths, I think in fifth or sixth grade, we had to do a whole bunch of, you know, we, we didn't learn about indigenous myths, not until, you know, a lot later. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I think like Joseph Campbell, uh, recognized there is, there is still this, like, uh, uh, there seems to be almost in, 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 in every, kind of mythic story, kind of that hero's journey of, uh, and, uh, I really like that. I, I live in New Mexico. So, uh, that, that, that retreat sounds really interesting. You said that the person was 99 years old. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I, I might've heard about it a bit, a bit too late, but, um, but to really, um, you know, instead of pushing the story away and, uh, kind of eliding it or maybe bypassing it to really dive, you know, dive into it. Um, seems, seems really interesting. I wonder if it was at a place called ghost ranch. Cause there's a, there yeah. is, mm-hmm. there is, um, uh, uh, that is, uh, oh, I forget her name. Um, very famous artist who lived in New Mexico. Yeah. Came George, from New York. Lived, George yes. Uh-huh. Yes, yes, Georgia O'Keeffe. Um, that's her um, former property, and they host a lot of writing retreats. And I know they're they're beginning to try to actually host uh, more Dharma retreats. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, that's all. That's all that I've got. Thank you. Thank you very much for sharing those reflections, and also for you know talking about the fact that stories are woven throughout human history and throughout our lives, and um, it's useful. You know, it, this is serving a purpose. Um, and yes, it, you know, I think I certainly get hooked into them a little too much. But I, what I want to um, say is that this inclusion of all of them uh, in our practice is important. You know, not that when I've heard them spoken of dismissively, I doubt that the teachers maybe intended to be dismissive, more like they're wanting us to unhook from from the story enough to see what the experience is. So that's, that's incredibly useful. And at some point, maybe story falls away. Um, but while we've got them, why not use them? I also really appreciate your uh, mention of indigenous stories that we weren't taught and how fascinatingly those unveil other aspects of being human that we, we as a culture, we as a group of people really can pay attention to you know there's so many resources in human history each group has tried to explain to itself what's going on here and maybe each individual has tried to explain to themselves what's going on here so may may our connection with stories be liberating for us you know be transformative for us Hi, Jan. Hello. Um, there were there was one phrase that really I really liked um, 
that all of life is the unknown. And uh, and it's true. And we have a fixation with making that, trying to make that not true. To make everything known and comfortable and think that we know what's coming next. So I really, I really like that because it does, well, it opens up everything that way of seeing it. Um, in terms of the um, aversion, even while we were talking, I was thinking about this because I'm noticing that when I feel like my practice isn't going well or I'm not very, I'm not having lots of experiences of mindfulness during the day, um, I can slip into well, that what I notice then is I'm not necessarily. But my my original question was why is it sometimes when that I just can't stand listening to the Buddhist talks anymore, right? I feel this aversion, or or the voice in my head is yeah, yeah, I've heard this before, right? And blah blah blah. So, of course, there's other times where every word seems brand new. And transformative, right? So it's not about that I've heard it all before. You've never heard it all before. But then I was realizing that that it may be that when I've started um, feeling down about not being as mindful as I would like to be or should be, or that that's when I'm feeling that way towards the, the Dharma. I didn't feel that day, that today during this talk, but I have been feeling it. So mm-hmm. then it's how can I work with what's going on there, you know? And I don't know if you have any suggestions. Of course, the first thing that pops to mind is compassion and, and encouragement. You know, like this is just how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and we stick with it. And it's a gradual process, but I don't know if you have anything to add to them. Yeah, and you know, this is a—I find this a fascinating thing because I've I've watched my mind do it too. It goes into these periods of resistance where it's like yada yada, blah blah blah, another talk. Oh my god, Ugh. and it it assumes this kind of familiarity. I, I mean, there's a there's a kind of story there. I've heard it all before. I mean, and like, uh, when am I going to get somewhere? Or any of those kinds of things. Um, so that resistance in the mind is interesting in and of itself. And yeah, a yes to everything you said. But also, um, I'm I'm kind of really curious and currently really curious. What is re- this resistance about? You know, what's mm-hmm. what's going on here? So. Um, just to allow it to go, okay, it's here. Um, and what might it be trying to tell me? And you said one hint is it's telling me that I'm, you know, some attitude of dissatisfaction have come up of like, oh, my daily life practice isn't enough or it isn't going where I hope it would go or my meditation isn't hoping where it would go. For sure, I, I've experienced that in there. And then um, sometimes it's like, is there some kind of other invitation in here? Like, what else is in here? Because one invitation I'm curious about is like, okay, suppose, let's suppose for a moment that the mind 
is tired of hearing it in these ways. And the mind is looking for something else. So a few years ago when I moved here, I went through a period of resistance towards um, Andre and Gill's talks. I realized I couldn't listen to another one. And suddenly I became aware that for many years I had had an attachment to them, almost a cling mm-hmm. to them that was like, oh, um, you know, I'm kind of hanging on for dear life to this. But n- suddenly I was realizing, you know, it's time to drop that. It's time to revisit all of this as if I, you know, what does this really mean to me? Like, let me not take it through somebody else's lens or voice now. What does this mean to me? And how might it be different than what I've been hearing? So I sort of embraced the inner adolescent that was going, <laughs> rolling my eyes at it all and and decided, okay, you know, there maybe there's some, there's some uh, creative urge in here that wants to l- explore this in a different way. Let me go with that for a while. See what happens. So I don't have the answer, obviously, mm. but I just wanted to share a little bit of my exploration in that same arena of how sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, this feels fresh. And then there are these periods when the mind gets hard as a rock. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not taking any of it. Um, and so I'm right there in there in that process mm-hmm. with you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that had been a little bit niggling in the back of my mind, like, oh, maybe another approach is needed. Great, yeah. And to honor that. And that doesn't mean it's forever, right? Yeah. We may a month or two hence listen to that talk and be totally illuminated by it, you know. So, um, yeah, thank you. Yeah. And, it, you know, you're making me aware in this moment of how much we we depend on processing all this stuff with words. But you and I know really well, many of us in this room know very well, maybe there are times when music or a visual art or body movement or something entirely different might be the way we need to engage with this. Maybe we've become so stuck on the verbal transmission mm-hmm. that we're we're uh, losing something here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Any other thoughts? Um, I I will have to leave. Uh, in about five minutes, and I apologize for leaving a little early, but I've got another one of many series of things to do today. So, but we have five minutes. So, what else is coming to you or might want to be said or asked? I'm also available for protests. <laughs> oh, no, I what you said, no, 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 is <laughs> fine too. I have the good fortune of getting to be with you again next week. So I look forward to continuing our exploration together and seeing where it leads and 
you know, if if any of this uh, works through you or in you this week, uh, let's maybe talk about that next week. So enjoy your practice. Thank you very much. Thank you, Liz. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thank you.